0: My name is Jordy Mueller, and welcome to the Empower Women series of February, where um, we actually had a, a kind of like a stage or part number two of a topic that we had last year, and we were very lucky to have once again Karen Mariscal with us on the phone today, uh, joined by Christina Vidoli. Uh, Both uh, were able to expose a couple of days ago a topic that we at Lexington Wealth um, have encountered more and more, and uh, its complexity has grown more and more through the years with changes in law, and especially as finance or, or, or funding of these stages in life in people uh, become important. So we are welcoming Karen Mearskall and Christina Vidoli. How are you guys doing?
1: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much. And uh, today we're talking about elder law and special needs state planning. And it's one of those topics that it instantly attaches emotions to it and it's hard to decouple while making legal decisions with it. So I'm going to try to do my best to guide this conversation and have some context uh, around uh, our, my questions. And the first one uh, is kind of like a follow-up from last time, Karen, that you were with us. And uh, we talk a lot about what a special needs trust is and kind of like when, when is the right moment to start thinking about this. And I want to move past that today and start maybe talking about what are the things that... We should do, and we should definitely not do, when start this conversation about trust and special need state planning.
1: Well, the most important thing to know when you when you have a child who is not likely to make a living, whether it's intellectual disability or mental mental illness or whatever, is that they should not have money in their own name. Because of uh, – well, there's really two reasons. One, government benefits. Some of the important ones are what we call means-tested, where you ha- cannot have more than $2,000 in your own name to be to qualify. Hmm. And the other reason is you're really, you really – you need somebody to help manage your money. Hmm. So for those two very important reasons, we recommend that, that uh, people – that are in somehow disabled should have what we call special needs trust when you pass away. So the parents, generally we recommend that the parents keep their own money to themselves and not fund a trust for their special child while they're alive. The point is that once they're gone and they can no longer uh, help pay for their kid the way they want to, they need someone else to sort of step in their shoes, and that's the trustee of a special needs trust. Hmm. So I think the important thing to know is if you have, your, if your child is less than, is still a child and not an adult yet or age 18, don't don't um, create a bank account, don't create a savings plan other than a special savings plan called an ABLE account, which is allowed under these rules and it will not count against your child. But other than an ABLE account, you shouldn't be putting money into your child's own name.
0: Hmm. Um, One of the things that came up in the conversation on Tuesday that we heard feedback on as a little tip that you gave uh, on this particular topic was for the trusts to not disburse uh, disburse cash from the actual trust to the beneficiary for regular expenses. Uh, uh, Do you mind expanding on that?
1: Yeah, so what, what, what we're talking about now is supplemental security income rules. SSI is a cash payment every month it's really a form of welfare given to our, our kids, such as mine. I, I have a son named Billy who's um, 26 and autistic and unable to make a living. And he qualifies for SSI and receives a monthly check every month um, from the Social Security Administration. In order to get that check and not to have it um, diminished, you, you, you cannot give the person on SSI cash more than $20. They allow the first $20, and then after that, Dollar for dollar, the, the amount you give them is decreases their SSI check every month. Now, this pertains whether you're a trustee of a trust or whether you're the parent or a friend or whatever. You can't, they, 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 any kind of cash needs a person has when they're receiving SSI should be uh, paid for by their SSI payment. And the other needs, such as rent, well, rent's, rent's a quick, tricky one, but other needs that they have, let's say cable bill and all, should be paid directly to the vendor. Hmm. And so you don't go through the person. You just, if you pay a third party, it's not counted. And I say uh, rent's a tricky one because it happens that if you pay for your disabled person's housing or food, those are the only two things. The um, that also decreases the SSI check, but it's a maximum of one third a decrease from from the amount that they might have been entitled to otherwise. So many of us, and myself including. Um, go ahead and pay for our kids' rent because we need to. uh, And we take that one-third off of the SSI as a matter of course, and that's very normal.
0: Hmm. Um, I want to bring Christina on the conversation uh, in a little bit of a tangent here, which is um, Christina, by the way, specialized in this in this particular talk. She focused on um, elder care, elder care law. So so it was a different kind of conversation, but uh, narrowed down to. People that we care about, that they cannot take care of themselves at some point, and something has to be in place to to start taking care of some needs, and and we we see this happening more and more often as as uh, uh, population grows, and gets older. And Christina, one thing that really uh, I, I grabbed especially from from your part of the presentation was how to make decisions when ability and mental capacity decline, but why, when to choose this right moment to actually shift from making personal decisions to now something else, a trust, family setups, start taking decisions for me. Do you mind expanding on this particular moment in time when families face this situation?
2: Sure. So um, clients and, and families that are caring for aging parents or, or disabled adults um, often come to me either well in advance of needing long-term care services, or when the need for the long-term care services, either at home or in a facility, is imminent. So either way, um, we're able to you know provide some solutions to make sure that there are resources available for for the care. Say of a spouse that wants to stay in their home and get the care at home mm-hmm. for as long as possible, or an individual that needs to enter a nursing home, um, because it's not safe to stay at home anymore, because those, those costs are as much as $15,000 a month in Massachusetts. Hmm. And, and, and so frankly, we're, we're saving the clients, um, a lot of money in, in their, in their life savings by using the tools that are within the laws of the federal and Massachusetts laws. So, the the primary benefit is that that clients are seeking to qualify for is MassHealth and um, the rules provide multiple opportunities for uh, those in need of long-term care services to preserve their assets for themselves, hmm. their spouses, and their children, um, especially children with special needs. And there are opportunities to plan ahead, but even at the last minute, there are some steps that are um, almost always still available to preserve some assets. So it's worth um, you know, coming to, to talk to an elder law attorney to see whether these steps are, are available um, I, or make sense.
0: I I see a little bit of a trend here, which in in both answers and both conversations, which is even though you want to help, make sure you're not overstepping some boundaries, so you don't get the public benefit help that you might already get. Uh, is is that kind of like a little bit of what I'm hearing overall?
2: I, um. Yes. Yeah, so part of what we do is is ensure that. A family member. We, you know, we we often talk to the kids or to the spouse of of an individual that whose who's, um significant significant other may be declining in health, and um, you know, we see if we can preserve their assets so they don't have to be spent down quickly on their care, hmm. and and so there are ways to protect assets in order to qualify for different benefits that are available
0: um i uh, th- there's a conversation that uh uh it's it's very tough to have with especially with our clientele and I'm sure you you go through it as as both uh lawyers, which is how to start how to set up who is going to be trustee in this trust um I, I don't know if you guys can maybe give us some insight on how to make this decision. Uh, there's no correct or, ra- or wrong answer, or I guess there could be the wrong answer. Uh, but how to best make these decisions?
1: Well, you know, I think that's a, a really a, a more difficult situation when you have a special needs trust for your child. Because that child is likely to live a full life. And there's decades uh, that, that have to be taken care of after you're gone, right? And yeah. that you often want to name – I believe that it's best to name a family member as okay. a trustee. Um, and a lot of people recommend that you name a family member and a professional so that you can have someone investing and taking care of the investments and that kind of thing When and a family member to take care of the, the, the person and make sure that the distributions are correct. So that's another way to go. But um, the problem I often find... Believe it or not, they don't have anyone to name where clients don't have anyone other themselves that they feel comfortable naming. So then we we always struggle with what to do. And Hmm. um, often we end up with a professional, even if there's not a lot of money, because, you know, most professionals need a a decent portfolio. Let's say a million or sometimes two million is their minimum in order to serve as trustee. So uh, I I often just we, we find someone we think can do it. And then we make sure they understand that they can hire a professional to help them do yeah. all of that investments, the uh, accountants for the taxes, any other things they might need. So it's not as big a burden as people think. But yeah. the other problem again is the generational issue. You want to find, you want it to go to the next generation and, and often we can't predict who is going to be the trustee in, in 40 years. So we just write our documents to allow the current trustee to pick their successor, and then other things to happen if the current trustee is unable. Let's say they pass away and didn't pick a successor. Other ways of of uh, finding a trustee, you know, baked into the document. Hmm.
0: So, um, right. Christina, I don't know if you want to add to this.
1: Yeah.
2: So I, I absolutely agree with everything Karen said. is it, true, and um, you know, the the law itself isn't very strict about who you may serve it, Who may serve as trustee? So as long as the person is over the age of 18 and is managing his or her own affairs, you can appoint that person, but the main consideration is making sure the trustee is someone that's trustworthy, um, and the trustee is going to have a duty to manage the trust in the beneficiary's best interest. So, so the trustee doesn't need to have legal or financial expertise, but he or she does have to have good judgment, and particularly in the case of special, special needs trusts, the trustee should have knowledge of federal benefit programs. Hmm. So, and sometimes people don't have someone that they can trust or that who meets these qualifications, so they can look into hiring an independent trustee, such as an individual or an institution that has no beneficial interest in the trust, um, but just but may be able to. Um, manage the trust um, wow. and, and advise on, on public benefits. But whomever whoever is chosen as trustee, it's important to reevaluate that choice every few years because, like Karen said, the, right, the person who's right today might not be right tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I, I the only thing I would like to add here from our own here at Lexington is, um, especially when it comes to elder care or um, kind of like the above generation um, special needs situation, um, we do see their children, which they tend to be in their forties or fifties, actually not knowing as much as their advisors of of their parents. Uh, We we, we typically see lawyers, uh, their accountants or CPAs, even their financial advisors being more in touch of their current situation of their parents than their actual children for many reasons, right? It could be just that they don't talk enough. They live in different locations. They They haven't been for the last few holidays in the last three, four years. So having that advisor, whatever that advisor is that is not a family member as an extra part of the trust has we have seen has added a ton of value for the right decision making for the parents. Um, at least that's what we observe. I don't know if you guys that's disagree. That's interesting. Yeah, we see that a lot. Yeah. Um, the one thing I wanted to, to that I found interesting uh, uh, in the conversation or uh, from the handouts that I that I was able to see was that difference between becoming a guardian and a conservator. And, <laughs> I, I I didn't know some of the legalities that the guardian uh, or the authority that some of the guardian has compared to a conservator, and I think people in outside just the regular day to day they might not know, and uh, they might just think, oh, I just make big life decisions on this on my parents, and that's what it means. It means a lot more than that. Um, I don't know, Christina, if you could expand on on that particular thing. Sure.
2: So in terms of of the responsibilities yes. of a guardian versus a conservator? Yes. Okay. So so that ba- yeah, so the, so Massachusetts separated guardianship into two different entities basically. The, a guardian who is appointed to uh make uh daily living decisions for the incapacitated person um and they mainly um if the individual lacks the ability to meet uh the requi- the essential requirements for his or her health, safety or self-care, um, then then a guardian will be appointed to um to do all all those things to make sure that they're safe, to make daily decisions for them, um and make health care decisions for the incapacitated person. And a conservator, on the other hand, is going to be appointed to manage the protected person's property and business affairs. Um, so as long, you know, if, if, if someone's been clinically diagnosed with an impairment that, um, so they, they don't have the ability to receive and evaluate information and, and communicate their decisions. If it's health care, then a guardian will be appointed. If it's, um, for their finances um it'll be the conservator that steps in hmm. and so often it's the same person that serves in both roles but it can be different people if if there's if there are family members um that are able to serve and there's there's two different family members it's nice to have that oversight and two people working together um hmm.
1: And as Christine and I always tell our clients the best thing to do is sign a power of attorney yes. which is for for the conservator role and a healthcare proxy for the guardian role ahead of time when you have capacity to make those decisions and guess what you don't have to go get a, get a guardian appointed and have a conservator appointed with it which is a pain in the butt to go to the court and do all those things mm-hmm. so if you could if you could sign those documents now we all should have them
0: yeah, and, uh, we're gonna attach to the, to the notes of this pot, of this podcast and insights we wrote probably a year ago about those two particular documents and how important they are. Um, Good. especially Good. as, uh, and we actually mentioned this very often, uh, as kids grow old and they go to college and they go out of state for college, that's a great time to have them sign these documents and have these conversations because different states have different uh, laws when it comes to uh, especially uh, medical situations. So, yeah. so it's, it's like a good conversation. It's not a fun Thanksgiving conversation. I had it myself, but it's definitely <laughs> a, a transcendental one, I would say. Um, And with parents in other countries like myself, it it becomes even more important to to have these conversations. That's interesting. Yeah. I I, just to I want to just to maybe have two more questions. And uh, one of them does regard to funding and and finance and kind of like the, the massive cost of of. Of all this, of actually dealing with somebody with special needs uh, or like basically growing all and, and having taken care of your later part of life. So, um, the, and, and I also want to also refer to another podcast that we have for like long term care insurance, which, which covers a lot of how that can supplement some of these costs. But uh, it's a general question for the two of you. What, what have you seen being the like the biggest mistake that people do when planning financially for this? For I'm um, this referring special needs uh, and elder part of life.
1: Well, well, one thing I do recommend when you're young, you're a young parent, um, and you're in good health, is to take out an insurance policy for your special needs child, and. Mm. It's called, what I recommend is a second-to-die policy, which only pays out on the second of you um, passing away, so it's a lot cheaper. And When you're young and you, you have a pretty good rate, and you, hopefully you can lock in that premium, then for the rest of your life you know that your child will have that amount, whatever amount you purchased, available to him or her when, when you pass away. And you want it to go to a special needs trust, not to the the child directly. The beneficiary is the special needs trust. Mm. So I, I often see uh, parents who are, you know, sixty or something coming in and, and we, we say, Oh, I wish you wouldn't known that, you know, so it's one thing that you just keep aware of.
0: Awesome. Christina, anything you would like to add? Right. No, I every what yeah.
2: Karen said is is true. It's, it's if um parents are young enough and can afford a long long um life insurance policy for their uh to use to fund the, their child's special needs trust or something would ha- should happen to them it's it uh can be crucial and um
0: the yeah the the it, one it's, it's the one thing to, oh go ahead sorry
2: I'm just gonna say it's a, it's important to to find uh an insurance agent. Who is familiar with with special needs trusts and can get it properly properly set up, and and um, that that is knowledgeable because there's a lot of people out there that um, might say they sell insurance, but you want to go to someone that is is really knowledgeable on the topic of special needs trusts and that has experience working with families with special needs children.
0: Awesome. Um, yeah, and um, I guess from the finance side of this, uh, the the one thing I want to bring to the conversation is. Having the conversation is a huge step forward. Uh, not acknowledging the costs of all this at, at early points in life, or where you are planning for retirement, it would be a huge mistake. And um, that's that's something common. Uh, it's not a it's not a fun thing to talk about. Uh, so so that would be kind of like my added value to this conversation, which is start to have the conversation, researching costs, researching everything, because that has to be part of. Uh, what you consider for your next stage and if you have special needs uh, children it's also part of your late stage because that's kind of what you're leaving behind as well. Um, I want to close with a a little bit of a personal question which is um, what brought you to this particular industry? And the reason why I want to finish on this is because I remember your story, Karen, and and uh, I know you do a lot for a lot of people to help them start this process. Uh, so, so I, I want to give you the opportunity to share that. But um, I would also like to hear Christina's side of why they started in this particular type
2: of law. Right. So, so I I, I was very interested in elder law um, because what while I was in law school, my grandparents were aging and I saw what they went through. And, you know, I learned a lot through that process and working with their elder law attorney. And it's such a rewarding area of law to get into. It can be hard because you're, you're working with families. Everyone everyone is aging. There's no, there's no one that avoids the aging process um, unless you pass. So, if you're lucky enough to age, um, you know, it's, it's important to plan ahead because we don't have a crystal ball of what the future holds. And, um, and we, we don't know when our age will start to affect our health or our parents' health. And, and so, you know, working with families, um, after, after going, you know, being a part of what my grandparents went through, um, I find it to be very rewarding and I, I love what I do.
1: And as Jordy knows, uh, for me, it's because of my son, Billy, who is 26 years old now and severely autistic and doesn't really speak and uh, is, is not really able to even dress himself properly or wash his hair the right way. You know, he needs a lot of help. But he's a very nice kid and just uh, to me he's a joy and I'm very grateful how how he is now because raising him was horrible. It was, <laughs> it was so hard when he was little because he couldn't sit in a chair, he couldn't stay in a room, he was always a, a, a whirling dervish of spinning around, running around the neighborhood, getting out of the door, you know, escaping and c- causing trouble and causing floods and all sorts of, you know, just exhausting, exhausting to raise him. And, and, you know, I didn't know that he was going to settle down and be okay. And he did around age 16 or 15 with puberty, believe it or not, puberty is a, is a organizing force on the human brain. And it causes us to be able to sit in a chair and, and go out to dinner and enjoy in, not to run in the playground anymore. And that really helped us that so he calmed down. He's he's able to go to the restaurant or the movie theater or whatever with us now. And, 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 um, you know, we're just so grateful of how, how it all went down. So it, it's my passion. This whole area is my passion, the special needs area, especially parenting kids with special needs. That's that. The parents are my people and I love talking to them. I love to hear what they're going through, try to help them make it easier.
0: Well, um... Thank you for sharing both of your stories. Uh, we really appreciate it. And um, we'll, we'll be sharing uh, your information with everybody that is listening to this podcast. It will be on the notes. And uh, I, I, I want to thank you just in general for the work you do. Uh, you're both uh, really good at what you do. And uh, we're lucky to have you guys as contacts and, and our network. And, um, and yeah, th- thank you so much for your work and thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you, Jordy. We pre- really appreciate it. Yes, definitely. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Christina. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Karen. Uh, happy Take Valentine's care. Day.
1: No, thanks. <laughs> See you
0: later. <laughs> bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye.